0: Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups, and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts from. Today on The Curious Capitalist, it's my great pleasure to be revisiting something that we spoke about not so long ago. You may remember we did an episode with Margaret Feeney, who is the Director of Digital Technology Incubation Programme, which is easy for me to say, we prefer to call it TIP, at the University of Connecticut. It's much easier to say now they couple uconn's world-class research resources facilities and business support with a network of investors and entrepreneurs UConn's technology incubation program, there you go, I did it again, helps to launch startups and help them transform their respective markets. Now on this episode, we're going to take a bit of a a deeper dive and we're going to hear from some of the people taking advantage of the program. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Wilder, the CEO from Fintron Invest and Wendy, the founder of Futures Thrive. Guys, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thanks for for having us. It's great to have you here. So to kick this off, I think what we should do is have you introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about your business and your startup. Wendy, start with you. Tell me all about Futures
1: Thrive. All right, so my name is Wendy Ward. I founded Futures Thrive. Certainly did not set out to be an entrepreneur, but I was a parent that had a child with an undiagnosed mental health condition. And in my own way of handling things, learned everything I could about mental health and realized I was not unique and did not need to keep this information to myself. So we set out to figure out what wasn't being done in the world of mental health and honed in on early screening tools. And to sum it up really quickly, screening tools that we use Those haven't been updated since the 1980s, and I don't know if you remember the 1980s, but computers were about the size of a small shipment box, and, and,
0: and the cell phone was in a briefcase. Things have definitely changed over the last few years, that's for sure.
1: And kids have changed, so we set out to change the way that we screen for youth mental health.
0: That is exciting. Tell me a little bit about how that actually works then. Because of course, we've now got this technology. We've got a more powerful computer than I had back then in my back pocket in, my, in terms of my telephone. How do you make this happen? This is great.
1: So it's super simple, actually. Sort of like taking that paper and pencil bubbles that say always, sometimes and never. And we've leveraged the best in technology and the best in data collection when it comes to creating a game that's super engaging for kids. And getting all the information that we can, content about their social lives, their school lives, their anxiety levels, their depression levels. And again, technology can do things a lot more easily. And when you're talking about a verbal dialogue or a paper and pencil dialogue, you're not going to get much out of a teenager. I have two at home. There's no possible way to get more than fine.
0: Or <laughs> good. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry.
1: Or can you give me a ride? Thats the um, other one. yeah, what we did is we put it in an engaging platform on technology. They play a game for ten minutes, and we get the largest data set of youth mental health information that exists.
0: That is incredible. And then what do you then do with that data? I guess that's then do you work with therapists, mental health therapists, or what do you do with that data? So a little one or a youngster plays the game, does their ten minutes or whatever, You capture all this data. Then what happens, Wendy?
1: So you're absolutely right. It's not just about having an objective screening tool. It's also about having a comprehensive report for the administrator. And the administrator we look at as the pediatrician, the school or a professional mental health therapist. So what do they get? They get a report that's aligned with the American Academy of Pediatrics best practices they get information on anxiety depression they get the context behind it for example we would say on a scale of one to five five being the happiest what makes um how happy are you and then we're going to follow up with what makes you happy and if one thing could make you happier what would it be so that's the way we lay out the questions and we can find out anything from school disruptions to family disruptions to just overall mental health of the child
0: That's fantastic, and it's about time some of the measuring tools, I guess, were brought into the 21st century. That is incredible. So, Wendy, you mentioned, obviously, your own family there. What has been your career to date? Where have you been prior to this, I guess? Great question. I'm a salesperson at heart. I spent the better part of
1: 25-plus years in sales. I wasn't satisfied after we had gone through what we had gone through, and I realized that I really could take this knowledge and help other people. So I became a go-to person in my community for about 10 years where people just knew, oh, hey, you know, I have a child who suffers. I've got some questions about mental health. Who can I go to? And because I became that resource, I was really happy to do it. But in the end, I wanted to get this information out to every parent because we don't know what we don't know. And anecdotally, we see story after story of child suffering and, and they don't have to suffer. If we look at mental health like we do every other health measure and we start getting baselines and information before there's a problem, you have an opportunity to change stigma, you have an opportunity to educate parents, you have an opportunity to get kids help before there's a crisis.
0: That is just so cool. Such, such a cool industry and purpose, you know, here at Conscious Capitalism, of course, you know, we talk a great deal about purpose and what better purpose is that? Okay, Wilder, you've been there very patiently waiting. Tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about your business if you wouldn't mind, Fintron Invest.
2: Oh yeah, I founded Fintron 2019. I was under an overpass in Ohio, like driving cross country and I wanted to start a company to do investment management You know, for friends and family. I wanted to get into investment management space. I wanted to open a hedge fund eventually. And I opened the business, didn't really do much with it. And I invested friends and family cash Learned how to invest learned the process. And a couple of years later, I ended up at sacred heart university. And I was working a project management job. I had like a hundred staff under me. I was working full-time. I was going to school full-time and I was still investing. Started to, to run out of time to invest and investing was really my passion. And, And when I was at sacred heart, I really fell in love with investing and joined the personal finance club. I joined the fed debate team economics club, and I wanted to keep investing. So took a little bit of the cash that I made, and I started automating my trading strategies using Python and some other coding libraries. So while I was at work all day, my trading systems would trade for me on, on the things I would normally trade you know, in person. So I built these systems and I realized, hey, I could, I could outsource coding and I could pretty much, with cash, I could build almost anything that I could think of. So pulled together a really awesome team at the university. It's where I met my two co-founders, Adam and Matt, and we started building FinTron. And FinTron is a digital broker dealer application that offers personal financial management tools. And we're really trying to transform the way that people approach investing in personal finance, mainly young people, what we've coined the mobile generation, people ages 18 to about 39, there's about 90 million of us, and 56% of us have never addressed a financial advisor or opened a brokerage account, made our first investment. And 40% of those 90 million people, about 36 million people, have never even had a conversation about personal finance with their parents, at high school and college. So there's a big financial literacy gap, which we believe is contributing to what I believe the number is 75% of uh, adults in the US living paycheck to paycheck. So we're taking a a private approach to something that should be addressed publicly. And uh, we built this awesome application and believe it or not, we're actually one of the youngest, if not the youngest teams to ever register a broker dealer. We're registered in all 53 states and territories. I was 24, I think, when we we got our license, registered with FINRA and the SEC wow. and SIPC. And uh, my co-founders so were all about a year or so younger than me. So, you know, 23, 24 year olds running a broker dealer registered in 53 states and territories. It was absolutely insane. And, and we believe we have a really unique approach in what we're doing because we are building products for the mobile generation by the mobile generation, and 20-somethings are building products for, for 20-somethings. And I think it's a new take on a market that's traditionally managed by you know, older individuals and, and an industry that's usually clouded in complex jargon. And I believe that financial professionals intentionally create this sort of complexity around finance to keep business alive. Right, if everybody can manage their own finances, you wouldn't need a personal financial advisor. So Absolutely. we're here leveraging technology to really transform the way that people address their personal finance through budgeting, through investing, through, you know, neo That's really what we do. And, and we're really vested in our mission. You know, we're building products, addressing real world problems that, that our friends have faced, our families have faced. And, and we actually, we have a standalone product that we, we house through our, our parent company. So separate from the broker dealer, uh, philanthropic arm, it's actually a simulated trading game wherein you get $100,000 of fake cash and you could browse through 2,000 stocks and you could buy those stocks and you could participate in real time in the stock market without risking real capital. You get a feel for the stock market and how stocks fluctuate, how to do your research and how to buy and sell. And uh, we've actually gone school to school, you know, class to class, club to club, and we've delivered this program, this game, in the hopes of achieving what we call the aha moment. It, it's the moment when a young person or any person in general, but for us, it's been mainly young people make an investment and they see their the value of their account tick up or tick down, and they realize, wow, I can make or lose money in the stock market. I can I can grow my wealth or, or you know potentially lose wealth in the stock market. And and it's a crazy moment when the students' eyes light up and they realize, like, hey, this is this is incredible. This is what investing is, and I could do it, and and really anyone can do it. And, and of course, there's a lot of risks involved, and you should be learned in, in the topic, but. It's a door opener, we believe. And and again, we're really, really passionate about what we do here.
0: I love that. You know, one of the things I remember speaking to my nieces about as they were going through school is one of the things that you don't learn in school, or rather you certainly don't in Europe where I'm from, we were never taught about budgeting. We were never taught about investments. We were never taught about stocks and shares and mortgage rates. And I felt very ill-equipped as a young adult going into the world. And I bought my first house. I didn't have a clue. I had no idea what I was doing and I think there is a real gap in our education there and I love the idea that you are targeting, not my age range anymore by the way, I felt a little bit old when you said your age range, that's making me feel proper old, but it's great that there is this educational option for people on your mobile phone. I mean, that's the future, isn't it? And that's similar about both of your businesses, you know. It's about how can you best reach these people who are in you know in a digital age. Love that, Wilder, love it. So tell me a little bit about how, Wilder, you you got involved with Margaret and TIP and the program and how it's been for you. How long have you been involved with the, the incubation program?
2: Yeah, so I absolutely love Margaret. Like, I really absolutely love Margaret. Couldn't sing her praise enough. She's just really, really an incredible woman. I was introduced to her, I believe, through Alex, who is an executive in-resident at the program, who worked on our systems with us. He, he introduced us to uh, task management systems, in, in particular the JIRA task management system, and he helped us set up our sprint and really our process management. So, so that actually you know, was a benefit of TIP before we even went into TIP. You know, Alex was part of that innovation atmosphere, and, and we had met him at one of those innovation events. And then he introduced me to Margaret, who at the time was actually working at NatWest as the director of innovation. So funny story, you know, I started working with Margaret and this is a little little off topic to get back into topic, but incumbent banks, right? Big banks, middle tier banks, community banks, they're all starting to see the effects of the digital revolution, whether it be effect on their bottom line or the inflows or outflows of clients, they're starting to get hip to the fact that they need a digital offering. You know, the Robin Hoods of the world and the stashes of the world and the acorns of the world are stealing clients from the incumbent banks. So Margaret was working at NatWest at the time and, and being the innovator that she was, she was put in touch with us through Alex and she immediately started working with me on identifying ways that we could partner up work together create you know a technological solution to introduce Natwest clients to a youth market and to a more digitized market so just before covid hit margaret and i started negotiating what you know could have been some sort of buyout or or merger of Fintron, where our technology team would go and build products for netwest and, and build out a youth product using our existing technology for them and you know we went back and forth and back and forth and then COVID hit and uh, it knocked out you know any real real business potential because the world went mad and then she ended up at tip i think a number of months later so that conversation had ended, she ended up at TIP, and I believe she immediately reached out to me just after the, the program launched, and she said, hey, do you wanna join TIP? We'd love to have you guys help build innovation in Connecticut and be part of this program and part of the Yukon atmosphere. And, you know ever since then she's she's made introductions to individuals potential investors uh you know brought me in on on hosting events and and delivering presentations and and all sorts of things so so really getting me you know comfortable in, in front of people and, and introducing me to possible investors and plugging me into resources in connecticut she's just been tremendously helpful and then also just posit- positive positive in, in my personal life i had a death in the family and, and she would text me like out of nowhere she'd say hey you know it's the holidays they're always the hardest I'm, I'm hoping you're doing well wilder and just like stuff like that just really really good intentions really good intended yeah. person and, and the program overall just building that community and and that's the long story of, of how i met margaret and, and how i got involved with tip and and now here we I are you know her. we've raised
0: she's a good egg she yeah. really is oh, it's a fantastic story and and how incredible how you know paths cross and then they recross i love that Wendy, how did you first get involved with Margaret and the the incubation program? I've
1: been heavily involved in State of Connecticut Small Business Development Center, and so I was actually introduced to Margaret through the center. Actually, there's such a amazing web of resources within the state of Connecticut. Wilder had mentioned a number of them. Christine Sullivan at the Small Business Development Center has just been integral in my journey overall. And then leveraging the relationships out of Next, which all sort of crossed over when it comes to TIP. I was one of their first companies that did a short period of time with them and didn't use their office space because I didn't need office space. But I just found working with their entrepreneur and resident was really helpful to flush out thoughts and processes it is from our health initiative, right? Like from the health end of our initiative, not necessarily the technology end. And I think one of the interesting crossovers between Wilder's product and what I'm doing in the world of mental health is every time we automate something and make it easier, it actually takes away a piece of development for kids. So as they grow up and there's an ATM card and there's not necessarily cash, they don't have the direct, like Claire, you and I grew up the direct one-to-one ratio, right? Like if I want to spend $6 and I only have five, now I have to make a developmental choice. As a parent, I've been conscientious of making sure that my kids learn how to use cash because of those reasons, but so that's our job as parents is to create a, a, you know, nurture a child that goes out into the world and feels capable. Well, if we take away or automate some developmental stages and they go out into the world and what happens, they're highly anxious and highly depressed because they don't feel capable. I was just listening to Wilder speak and seeing sort of the trajectory of the new child growing up and having all of these automated pieces and knowing that we have to add back some nurturing when it comes to their mental health. That was my connecting random
0: thought. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same. I've got a, a young son myself and I was just thinking like what kind of world, particularly at the moment, obviously we have a worldwide pandemic. We've got a senseless war happening in Ukraine. And sometimes I look at the world and go, wow, how is he going to navigate this? And and it is, isn't it? It's Things have changed so much. And there, I think there are so many invisible pressures on young people And I think using technology, utilizing technology, uh, coupled with that nurture, you're right, it does need nurture as well. You know, just maybe, just maybe, yeah, they stand a chance at saving the world because we haven't.
1: It's not that not that we can't automate things, right? Like we need to. Technology is great. We can do so much more with technology. We can gather more information. We can get more metrics. We can learn and grow using technology, right? Wilder's right. Who might never otherwise know how to invest, we can get them engaged in the stock market in a totally new way. But we have to be intentional about that and intentional about what technology gives. And what technology can't give.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it was fascinating listening to you, Wilder. It was because I was just thinking, you know, the statistics that you were giving me, I was thinking financial advisor, no. Wealth management, no. Stock market, no. I had my first step into the stock market two years ago when one of the apps you you mentioned came on the scene. And it's like, hang on a minute, my little one is going to grow up hopefully uh, knowing a lot more about this than I did at an earlier age and and have that financial maturity, I guess, that we're talking about through education and access, which is really what you're all about, Wilder.
2: So when you consider the digital revolution, right, is, is kind of what we've coined it here. It's uh, A, if you don't adapt, like if you're an incumbent company and you don't adapt to technology, the likelihood that your company dies is a lot greater. And B, I think there's a lot of predatory applications out there that do key in on that simplicity and, and access to technology. If it's easy to put positive tech in people's hands, it's also easy to to scan people through tech. So I think, you know, touching on what Wendy was saying there, there's a lot that technology can give, but there's a lot of the technology can take, and I think what we're trying to do is scale up and beat out these other companies that are a little bit more predatory right? and, and that are doing things in the back end, like selling your data and, and stealing information or, or not taking your data security seriously and, and, and leaking your data or, or having data theft. So one of our staff here had her identity stolen at a major bank. I think there's a lot of positives, a lot of negatives to technology, and you have to be careful with the dynamic.
0: No, absolutely. So thinking about conscious capitalism, this is The Curious Capitalist, uh, one of the, you know, common themes, you know, and tenets of it is having a higher purpose. You know, doing business for good, we talk a great deal about thinking about that higher purpose. Wendy, would you say your your business has that higher purpose? And what is it? Yeah, I mean,
1: Claire, like I said, when I got, um, started out, I did not get into this to be an entrepreneur, let alone a female entrepreneur in tech, which, by the way, doesn't exist. We had totally and completely rethink the way we screen kids for mental health issues. So, today, what we do is we wait until kids are addicted or, or failing math or having behavioral issues, um, but that's not prevention. So the way I look at what we can do overall is, yes, if we do it right, we're going to make money, but if we could create a pool that's affordable, that can go into every neighborhood and every pediatric office and every school, regardless of their socioeconomic ability, right, then we can help kids. And that truly preventative nature is what gets me going every single day. I mean, what really truly excites me is being able to arm doctor schools and families with information that could save
0: lives. Absolutely. No better benefit it's really difficult you know sometimes I, I talk to different businesses and i talk to different companies and i listen to their higher purpose so i feel yours is a, a real personal coming from a really personal place and the passion is definitely there wilder tell me about your company's higher purpose and uh yeah i guess what is it and and how do you define it
2: yeah so you know, this being the Curious Capitalist, the original intent of the business was to to build a big business and to make, you know, a significant amount of money upon an exit. My dad was a nonprofit guy. So was my mom, a nonprofit woman. I grew up on camps. My dad ran CYOs and YMCA's and, and private camps for at-risk youth. So kids whose parents had passed away in 9-11 or came from underprivileged neighborhoods or came from abusive families. And these kids would go to these camps and they'd have... A great escape. So I spent all my summers and all my after schools as a young kid, maybe up until high school, with these kids from these diverse backgrounds. And I always remembered how you know privileged I felt being amongst these kids that, that had gone through so much trauma. You know, and I was I came from a lower middle class family. Ran camps. There's not a lot of money in that, but but even still, like you know, I felt like I had a tremendous amount of privilege. So I always wanted to do something like my dad because I watched him. He was a great leader. And he always built these great programs and people always loved him. And he led through positivity and, and creativity. And, and I always wanted to be like that. So I believe it was 16, you know, I, I wanted to do something big. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to start a company. I want, I had, you know, I wanted to have my big idea and I wanted to do something good like my dad and, and my dream initially was to make a bunch of money doing whatever it was and sell a company. And then I would give back after, you know that process. I would build a camp with my dad. We'd buy a bunch of acres. We'd, we'd have a really cool program for at-risk youth. And then that's when I got into finance. I fell in love with the upside potential of finance and you know, the traditional wealth and and stigma that surrounds finance. Hey, I'll, I'll build this business. I'll, I'll, you know, like I was saying, I'll build a hedge fund and I'll trade and I'll make a bunch of money. and, And then I'll, I'll do some good for the world. We started surveying people after I built the initial technology and, and everybody said the same thing. Along the lines of those statistics, you know, they said, hey, investing is great. It's a means to build wealth or, you know, so they believed it's the proper thing. It's adulting, quote unquote, but I'm scared. I'm intimidated. It's it's expensive to get into. It's risky. I, you know, I, I just don't know where to begin. We saw a need in the market and that's when I started to realize I could make my impact while actually building a company that will build my own wealth simultaneously. So we started building this company. And I'll tell you the more that we drove into philanthropy and we drove into education, the better the product did, the more we drove into education around the app and education around branding, the better the advertising did right. The, the, the ads that we posted that, that started with, do you want to learn about finance? Do you want to learn how to do this? Or are you intimidated by investing always performed the best. So the more that we drove into that philanthropic purpose, the better our business did. So it's really self-fulfilling in this sort of, this mission that we have to bring education to our generation and financial literacy to our generation. So, so I guess to summarize, right, it, it initially began as, as the idea that I'd, I'd make money and then cash out and, and become a philanthropist. But now it's, let me build a sustainable company. Let me build a really awesome company full of great you know people and, and, and staff. And and at the same time, let's do some justice for young people. So, like, we don't profit off of payment for order flow which is when you sell the orders from your clients and mark them up, we don't profit from selling data. You know, we don't do these malpractices. We're very transparent with our users and we have education all over the app. We, we actually just signed a contract and we doubled down on education with a company called Zogo Finance, where we're gonna embed their highly engaged education integration into our application. And we're going to offer some new products. You know, we're, we're looking to get into robo advising and, and these sorts of things so that we can offer products to every spectrum, to the people that wanna direct their own investments, to the people that want to have other people direct their own investments, or to the people that maybe still don't want to invest but want to budget so we're really just trying to build a versatile highly engaged product for young people any people really but a focus on young people and um, I guess that's how our, our mission came about it. it it was I don't want to say it was by mistake but it was It was really fueled by the success that it saw right like i guess positive intentions fetch positive outcomes and that's kind of how we operate as a company sometimes we do stuff as a company that might not make sense it's just positive for the community but it always reaps tremendous benefits like you know joining tip and and teaching these classes always leads us to some individual that might invest in the company or sign up for the product or or something or other so that's kind of how we positioned ourselves and, and how i positioned ourselves within the industry
0: Question for you, Wendy, if I may. What has been, I guess, your biggest obstacle or obstacles in starting the business from inception to where you are now? What have been some of your most difficult obstacles to overcome?
1: Kind of an interesting question. I mean, at the end of the day, raising money. You know, We're proposing a new way of looking at mental health. And while we're doing it using the existing healthcare system, it's always risky to place a product in the healthcare market. So to be candid, we're about to go out and do a $2 million raise. The interesting thing about it is every dollar we have raised, we've maximized and, and gotten past that first product. I mean, that's really the entrepreneur's chicken and egg. You know, everyone wants to see you pre-product. We're there. We're going into user acceptance testing next week. And then we'll be past that. And then I think that when we start to get the measurements and metrics, it's just gonna, I'm a salesperson, right? So it's just a different sale when you're Uh out there. saying we got the product, this is what it does.
0: Got some facts and figures to be able to go out into the world and say, look at what we can do. Look at what we have done. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we've all heard the statistics. Women raising money in the venture capital world garner less than 2% of the overall market of money. So, you know, it's a tall order to be a female, let alone a female in tech. None of that bothers me. I'm perfectly capable of holding my own. And we've been super scrappy and lean and mean, but now we're at a point where we're ready to take our mission and run with it.
0: I wish you all the luck in the world. It's such a fantastic idea. Wilder, what about yourself? What's been the most difficult, I guess, or the obstacles that you've faced so far that have been the most challenging?
2: We've had a lot of obstacles, that's for sure. We're really young, that's one of them. You know, There's an experience component to operating within the industry, especially when considering regulatory. So getting our licenses was almost impossible. When I met my co-founders, you know, I had some experience running operations for a property management company. You know, I would staff pools and I would work on uh, machinery and things like that. So I had some some understanding of how to manage people and and systems. But really, other than that, we we didn't have much experience. We were just college students. We were all enrolled full time in college, and we had to get our broker's license or we had to register with FINRA. And to do that, you need to have a number of experienced professionals on your team that have or possess a number of licenses, specifically the series 24, 763 and the SIE, these four really tough industry exams. Now to, to get appointed to take those exams and, and ultimately to get your registration with FINRA, you have to work for a broker dealer. None of us worked for a broker dealer. So we had no idea how we we're gonna get these licenses and register our own broker dealer. <laughs> so we actually found a loophole in the system where, if you apply for a license during the application window, you can actually sponsor yourself for those exams without working for an existing broker dealer. So we did that. And, and while we were full-time enrolled in school, full-time building the company, full-time raising money, we passed these licensing exams that are, you know, like four hour financial industry licensing exams, me and my <laughs> co-founder. And then we pulled in two professors. From the university, or one professor from the university, and one individual that I, I met on LinkedIn. One of the professors had to take the exams too. This guy, Roger Williams, really, really awesome older gentleman. He came on board and he just wanted to help us out in our mission in philanthropy. And, and we kind of dropped the bomb on him. We we're like, "Hey, dude, you got to pass these four exams." So he got to take them and he passed them, and we passed all the exams and we got this license and. It's almost insane. We became one of the youngest teams to, to ever register a broker dealer. And then we went on to register in all 53 states and territories. And 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 like Wendy was saying, raising capital is so difficult. I couldn't imagine, you know, matching up against the stats that she quoted, but you know, we're again, we're super young and unproven. So having no track record in in operating a business, no previous exits, you know, having no experience and raising millions of dollars is so incredibly difficult. And, and really the only thing that we've had to speak for ourselves is our, our progress. So, you know, we registered the business and we got a million or so in funding. We acquired a couple thousand users. We got a million or so in funding. And now we've acquired, you know, almost 12,000 users. We've successfully operated within the business. We've garnered high engagement. And, uh, and now we're looking to close our $5 million Series A round in the next week or two with some some really notable Connecticut Investors. So I don't know. It's been crazy. We work 90 to 110 hour weeks nonstop for the past three and a half years. We're still kicking and, and we find ourselves, you know, very lucky, blessed and, and hardworking, but definitely still difficult, you know, to, to get respect on, on the stage of, of this industry that's filled with older incumbents, experienced individuals, and just really, really some very cutthroat people.
0: You'd certainly find those in the finance world, that's for sure. OK, a question for you both. Start with you, Wendy, if I may. You know, the success of your company and your business, when you, you think ahead, I guess, you know, we talk a lot about culture within conscious capitalism. As your, your company grows, what sort of culture have you got and do you aspire to cultivate? And what words might you use to describe that culture moving forward?
1: That's a really great question. I actually just spent a lot of time thinking about that coming up on the holiday season. I really thought to myself, you know, as we grow in scale, I'd like to walk the walk being a mental health company. Foundational belief is that knowledge is the wellspring of health and that with that, additional knowledge, parents and families can do better. I mean, in the end, when we know better, we do better across the board for everything that we do in our life, right? We just make more informed decisions. So from a cultural standpoint, it's really important to me to start within and to have a company that has a psychologically safe environment and then taking that out into the work that we do and creating psychologically safe spaces. And again, as we grow that, I really believe the heart of our work will start to tear down stigma more than any other awareness campaign out there. And when we start to move the statistics that haven't moved in decades, the one in five kids who suffer from a diagnosable mental health condition, half of those lifetime cases Starting long before the age of 14. When we start to see those statistics change, I know we will have done our job. And, and most importantly, I should say, when we start to see the suicide statistics change, I know we will have done our job. But it really does begin with a culture of knowledge.
0: Yeah, Knowledge is power, as they say. Wilder, what about yourself? How would you describe your company's culture and, and how would you like it to be defined, I guess, moving forward? We have the
2: best company culture
0: as <laughs> a big claim <laughs> go on hit me
2: <laughs> i'd say you know we we're really a very close-knit team a community you know we sometimes we go through it right it's difficult sometimes when you're working 110 120 hours a week and you're close together but like for instance i've been sitting five feet away from my co-founder matt for the past three and a half years and we've never had an issue we all hang out after work together we, we go out we celebrate everybody's birthdays we have big parties for birthdays we have big welcome lunches for everybody when they start we again we do not discriminate based on age but we have found ourselves a very youth driven company just in our talent funnel and pipelines we're very very young company and um our culture is based on and what i always reiterate it's based on the belief that young people can do absolutely anything and by leveraging technology we can do whatever any other incumbent can do or whatever any other skilled professional can do, you know, from a, a quick web search to in-depth research reports, we can pull it up using our technology skills or, or what have you. And we really pushed that as a company, right, that young people can work. And, and what we found is that by building up young people from college, for, directly from school, it builds a sort of loyalty with the individual and the company. Right, if you're given a job and an opportunity and you're, you're given the opportunity to build within a company and become a vice president or a director within a company with your within your first couple of years out of college, it really creates a sense of loyalty and, and a sense of devotion to the company. And, and our people are so devoted. I mean, we all work crazy hours. We don't require it, but everybody loves to work. They love to be here. And and um, and again, I think we have a really incredible company culture. And now we're moving into sort of the next level of company culture, right? We, we've kind of all really, really beaten ourselves building this company, so now we're trying to, you know, take a little bit more time for our own health and take a little bit more time to sit and reflect and, and to be, a, you know, a little bit more present in our personal lives. Or We're moving down to Stanford. We're moving to a, a cool new office that we're really going to deck out with, with all kinds of greenery and, and, and all kinds of breakout space and, and, and room for people to really just like spend a little bit of time cooling off and reflecting in their own respective, I guess, positions and lives, et cetera. We pride ourselves on like really driving home and and really working crazy hours. But I'd like our team to be a little bit more balanced, right? Because three years in, four years in, I don't want anybody to burn out. We want to all stay really enthusiastic and excited. So we're making steps to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Love our our company culture. And it's one of my favorite things about about doing what we do, you know, building a a company and a culture full of great
0: people. Exactly. And if you get the right passionate group of people, you know, the sky really is the limit. Wendy, a question for you, if I may. Last couple, I promise. What Tips. Do you see what I did there to include the word tip? Uh, what tips would you give or advice would you give to anybody thinking of starting a business, thinking of, of stepping into entrepreneurship, should we say? What have been some of the, the biggest lessons I guess you've learned in your journey? That's a great question.
1: So first thing I would say is what you think you're going to create is going to change. Second thing I would say is aggressively approach everything with an open mind. Third, I would say get used to hearing no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very true. Oh, man. Wilder, what about yourself? What what tips or advice would you give people looking to, to move into this sort of uh, startup environment?
2: I always say uh, you got to be ready to give up your personal life, depending on where you are in your career, right? Like if you're a young person, and an entrepreneur, you, you obviously don't have much of a nest egg and, and you're really going to have to either work to support yourself, give up your social life so that you can support yourself and you can support your dream or, or really just risk your capital that you do have that you've accumulated over time. So it's, it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of uh, forfeiting your personal life. And yeah, like Wendy said, just get used to, to hearing no. Everybody tells you no. And some people will tell you no really aggressively. They they take pride in telling you no. And some people will will drag you through the dirt, right? Like. I hate to say it, but like a lot of angel investors will just talk to you to get you to take them to lunch or like just to talk about themselves. Or I can't tell you how many times I've shooken someone's hand and they've said, hey, we're going to invest this much money. And then, oh, yeah, you know, I I can't do it anymore. Or I've had this deal, you know, I've got another deal now. So it's, you know, it's hearing no, it's getting backhanded. It's just like. All of the the horrible stuff in the industry that you could expect over a lifetime is just accelerated into a very short period of time because you're growing fast and you're, you're building something. So you gotta have That's a tough skin. Then, yeah, 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 definitely a thick skin. But the, the crazy anomaly is you have to have a thick skin, but you also have to be very gentle in the way that you you talk to people and you approach investors and the way that you respect individuals, right? You can't feedback that aggressive that you get. You have to be very, I think the word's complacent. And then, you know, the other thing I would say is that, like, you can't expect people to be empathetic of you ever. If there's something going on in your life, you can't expect people to feel sorry for you or to give you pity or, or to be empathetic to you at all whatsoever in business, especially in finances. Nobody really cares about your personal life or personal matters. It's really, in most cases, it's the bottom line. Not everyone is altruistic, like, you know, FinTron or, or Wendy's company. It's, it's very cutthroat. So I always say, you know, to like new interns or to people when we go and speak at events and, and things is that don't ever expect people to feel sorry for you, to give you any sort of empathy. That's when people will kick you the most if you give them any sort of indication of of weakness. That's kind of my my tip. Yeah, gotcha.
0: We're gonna change those generations. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you, Wendy. I was waiting for you. I could almost feel you bubbling. Then. Okay, last couple of questions, Wendy. Tell me, what do you like to do when you do get some downtime to relax? Do you ever relax? What do you like to do to unwind? And find that clarity, you know, Wilder was talking about wanting now as his company develops to get more balance, you know, which is super important to get people, you know, the best productivity out of themselves and others. What do you like to do to unwind and relax, Wendy?
1: So it's funny that you say that because I have worked for myself. For 10 years so the 24 hours a day seven days a week i actually no longer do so what i like (laughs) to do um well first off i think wilder we need to work on some professional boundaries for you guys because if you're gonna work at midnight everyone's gonna work at midnight
2: and they're gonna expect it. To be yeah, out. I know that's true. That's very true. I <laughs> often talk to like your HR. It's like if, if I'm staying late, everybody's staying late because it's implied, and we're trying to figure right. it out. Right.
0: Don't worry. We, this do podcast that. is going to turn into a therapy session for Wilder. Don't worry. Yeah. We're gonna.
1: To- <laughs> yeah, on sunday either that's fine because <laughs> oh, it's, no. it's out. sunday emails are out so what do i do i love to swim i love to cook honestly as i said to um margaret yesterday i love to hang out with my kids i'm determined to love this stage of their life they're 13 and 15 and they're so wildly curious and watching the world through their eyes is just magnificent and i just feel so grateful that i get to
0: do that Oh, fantastic. Wilder, dare I even ask if you have any downtime? I got downtime
2: sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. I like to fill my downtime with extreme activities to make up for the lack of downtime.
0: (laughs) Give us a clue. What do you like to do, Wilder?
2: A great example. um, One time I brought the team. I told them we were going on a camping trip and I said I got a a campground all mapped out. And the truth was that there were no campgrounds left available because it was a holiday weekend. Uh, so i just bought a bunch of blow-up mattresses at um walmart and uh, when we got there the the campground was on a lake i told everybody hey you know we're going camping so we pulled up you know to, to the boat ramp and they're like where's the campground we're making the campground so we inflated a bunch of mattresses and we just tied them together we put a tent on the mattresses and then we all slept on the on the water on the lake all night <laughs> that was one of our
1: downtime if you brought your work team that's not downtime
0: (laughs) what do you like to do wilder when you're not at work these questions are getting tough um (laughs) it's
2: been a while because now i'm on the east coast but i like to surf and scuba dive and snorkel and all those kind of outdoorsy venture type things i like to rock climb but again i bring my team rock climbing i actually live with one of the co-founders and one of our staff and now actually four of us live in the same two bedroom apartment now so it's work life
0: I'll take that up with your therapist guys it's been such a privilege getting to speak to you today and to learn more about your businesses margaret promised me you guys would be amazing and she truly wasn't wrong so here's an opportunity then to let's go plug 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 your 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 two businesses wendy how can people carry on the conversation with you and find out more about what you're building They can
1: go to futuresthrive.com and they can get lots more information there and people can reach out to me. It's Wendy at futuresthrive.com. And so if anybody wanted to reach out to me, I'd be happy to discuss with them. We're looking for various partners. We're starting a financial raise of $2 million. So we're looking for investors. We're looking for pilot partners.
0: Awesome. And you're on LinkedIn
1: as well, I assume? I am on LinkedIn as well. Yes. And Facebook and Instagram and Twitter
0: and they can find me. She's everywhere. Wendy Ward of Future Thrives. Wilder, how can people get in touch with you? And is the app available? Can people download it now and start learning and uh, and investing?
2: You know, if you're a local Connecticut business, reach out to Margaret or Erica Payne. Get involved in TIP. They'll support you guys, introduce you to you know talent and introduce you to advisors, maybe some introductions to capital, et cetera. But, uh, you know, to the extent that you want to check out FinTron, yeah, we're live in
0: the app store. Check out the app on the App Store. And if people want to connect with you, Wilder, you're on LinkedIn and all the usual social platforms.
2: Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, You can see Fintron Invest on Instagram, on TikTok. We're (laughs) Tiktoking, and it's Fintron Invest app. I have to be clear, Fintron Invest is the broker dealer. Fintron LLC is the parent company. Uh, where we do our philanthropy.
0: Fantastic stuff. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And if you have an idea or you have a startup and you need some support, I'll put the details for the TIP program and the lovely Margaret Feeney in the show notes for this podcast. But Wendy Wilder, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on The Curious Capitalist. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about Conscious Capitalism or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding. RedRockBranding.com